Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This Benny J bonus interview is brought to you in part by the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J, take it away. We'll do Ben Jarofsky here. It's bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky Show. Uh, as I speak, it is Thursday, September 12th, my anniversary. Thank you, everybody. Uh, and uh, But, of course, when you hear this, it could be any time. It's a podcast. I think we're dropping this on Sunday. Am I right, D? Sounds good. Yeah, Sunday. Sunday sounds good. Uh, I've been looking forward to this interview for a while. And once we get going, uh, you'll probably understand why, because you've been listening to me go on and on about the topic we're going to be discussing today. As we do with all of our bonus interviews, I ask our guest uh, to introduce himself. In this case, it's a himself. So guest, introduce yourself. I'm Leonard Goodman. I'm a attorney here in Chicago, criminal defense attorney criminal defense attorney in the city of Chicago. Uh, he is also a freelance writer in the city of Chicago, uh, writes for In These Times and my beloved reader. Uh, and uh, Leonard wrote two stories in the reader. The Epstein cover-up is the latest one. And yes, indeed, the Epstein in that name is Jeffrey Epstein. And that's why I say it. People who listen to my show, Leonard, know I'm pretty much obsessed with this Jeffrey Epstein story. I have been for a while. Don't get a chance to really talk about it. We did. I just want to urge everybody a past bonus episode with attorney Jim Coogan, where we got into the whole issue of what Jeffrey Epstein did. The difference was like probate 101, Leonard. We talked about the difference between a will and a trust and what Jeffrey Epstein did uh, to his victims when he converted his will to a trust, therefore shielding his um, empire from them or whatever it was in his empire. And uh, he did this two days before he died. And as Jim Coogan and I discussed, it's a sort of an interesting two days thing because when you shield your assets uh, by converting a will to a trust, it implies that you're digging in for a long fight. Two days later, he's dead. So it either means he's one of the most spiteful human beings in the world. Uh, he was just given that one last middle finger to his victims after he already made their life miserable and before, uh, or he did not commit suicide. So there's that possibility out there. I discussed that with Jim Coogan. Uh, you raised some very interesting points uh, in this story that ran in the reader. It's actually the, I came to this story, your second story first, somehow or other, I missed the first story. Then I 
I went back and read the first one. But let's just deal with the Epstein cover-up. Folks, you can read it September 4th, The Reader. Um, and uh, I'm going to read you the lead, and we're going to take it from there. All right, Leonard? Okay. All right. The federal prosecution of Jeffrey Epstein for running a sex trafficking operation involving vulnerable young girls ended last month when Epstein was found dead in his cell. The official story is that he committed suicide, but many people, led by the victims of Epstein and his co-conspirators, suspect foul play. These victims say they were recruited as children to become sex slaves for Epstein and guests to his various mansions, including prominent American politicians, business executives, and world leaders. For, the, for years, these women have sought justice, and they have good reason, good reason to now suspect that their government is lying to them in order to protect the rich and the powerful. This would not, of course, be the first time government has lied to its people. This would not, Leonard, be the first time that government has protected the rich and the powerful uh, over the poor and the vulnerable. Nonetheless, let's day, take a deeper dive here. What are you getting at there? Well, you know, this is this has all the earmarks of a massive cover-up, and you know, certainly what you what you allude to about the, you know the the important people, politicians, um, world leaders that would be embarrassed, that were sucked into Epstein's world. And I think it's, it's fairly accepted that he was running some sort of sexual blackmail operation. Um, how he accumulated a half billion dollars in wealth has never been explained. Um, this is something I think that I talked, maybe touched on more in the first article, mm -hmm. that you know this guy was a, a math teacher, uh, I don't think he had a college degree, and um, he somehow accumulated a half billion dollars. I mean, he's been described in the press as a, you know, sometimes they call him a financier, sometimes they call him a hedge fund manager. The fact is the guy had uh, no clients. He had a business with no website. He had no filings with the SEC. So there was no record of this person ever uh, managing money for anyone, except possibly um, the one guy, Wexner. Mm -hmm. And um, so how he accumulated a half billion dollars has never been explained. And it seems fairly well established that the guy was running some sort of blackmail operation. Um, so, yes. And, you know, of course, the press has basically told us this was a suicide, uh, another jail suicide, move along. But like you say... Um, you know, in the last interview that you did, it does seem like he was digging in for a lawsuit. So then two days later, he commits suicide. That doesn't make a lot of sense. He was certainly a, the most high value um, prisoner in a very secure uh, building, the Manhattan uh, MCC. There's a lot of suspicious circumstances about his death. You know, the camera outside of his cell was mysteriously uh, not operational for some reason. Um, you know, there was another attempt on his life, apparently, a couple weeks weeks earlier um, that's never been explained or investigated. Uh, here's a, a, another suicide attempt. Well, we don't know. His lawyers say he was murdered and that the other one was an att attempt on his life by a cellmate. So, you know, there really hasn't been a whole lot of um, solid information that has come out. So I think, you know, it's important to look at the known facts. I mean, um, you know, that's I'm a lawyer. I try to look at what what is the evidence here. Um, now, well, let's get yeah. into that, uh, the evidence, known facts, and we'll go with that. another, uh, the next paragraph in your story. These victims were already deceived once by the federal government. 
Back in 20, 2005, police in Palm Beach, Florida, began investigating allegations that Epstein and his associates were paying vulnerable girls for massages and sex. But then the federal government stepped in and took the case away from local prosecutors and police, ostensibly to ensure that Epstein would not receive special treatment because of his wealth and status in the Palm Beach community. Many child victim came child victims came forward and cooperated with the federal investigations. In the end, the FBI identified dozens of credible victims and prosecutors prepared a 53-page child sex trafficking indictment that carried a potential punishment of life imprisonment. (laughs) A life imprisonment, folks, but those charges were shelved in 2008 after the lead prosecutor, Alexander Acosta, entered into a secret and unprecedented agreement not to prosecute Epstein or his conspirators. Right. Talk about that. Well, well, you have a situation where, you know, a local police department is doing a a credible. There has been a complaint in Palm Beach that uh, these vulnerable girls are being abused by Epstein and his associates. The Palm Beach Police Department opens up an investigation um, and is interviewing the victims. And then the feds come in and take it over. Now, we see this all the time where the feds take over a case because they have the power to do that. Almost any case can be federalized. Um, and generally it's done, you know, there's legitimate reasons why the federal government might come in and take over a case. Maybe, you know, the lo- it's too big for this local police department. I mean, here, I think what the message was to the victims is, you know, this guy, um, Jeffrey Epstein, is such a big name here in the Palm Beach community. There's, you know, he's donated money to the arts and this and that. He may not get, you, you know, he may not get his due. Um, so we're going to come in and make sure that there is an unbiased investigation. And I think the victims were certainly um, willing to talk to the feds. And um, I think it's something like 36 uh, credible victims were identified. This is back in 2005, 2006, 2007. Um, A 53-page indictment was prepared that would have easily um, given him a life sentence. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, it's put, um, it's shelved. It's and what happens, what comes out is this non-prosecution agreement um, that is the most unusual one I have ever seen. I mean, it's not that unusual to see a rich and, a rich and powerful person um, get a non-prosecution agreement. But what happened here is not only did the feds agree not to prosecute Epstein, but they agreed to grant immunity to any potential co-conspirators. This is something that's quite shocking. Um, I've certainly never seen it. Um, in a prosecution agreement. And I think, um, you know, anyone, anyone from Chicago, certainly if you, uh, any person that grew up in a Chicago housing project can tell you how federal conspiracy um, prosecutors generally handle these types of cases. And that is they squeeze people to, to give information about their cousins or their friends or their fathers, you know, um, about their drug dealing in the, in the stairwells of some housing project. And they're going to sweep a large group and, you know, 20, 30 people are going to be indicted for conspiracy. In this case, the feds did the opposite. They took the, the leader of the conspiracy and they, and they said, we're going to grant immunity to all all of the other um, potential co-conspirators. We're not even, we're going to end the investigation and not going to look at any of his associates, um, which is uh, quite shocking. The other thing that happened here is the, uh, the agreement was illegal because these teenage victims had a right before 
they, they cooperated with the feds, and there's a law, a federal law that says that they have a right to be consulted and to object before any non-prosecution agreement is entered. Um, they ignored that mm-hmm. and did this under seal. And then this, a federal judge found this in a lawsuit that they, in fact, lied. The federal government, uh, Acosta's crew, lied to the victims and told them that, yes, this prosecution is still going forward. There's still a potential that uh, you're going to get justice. And in, while they knew that this had been entered under seal, this non-prosecution agreement. So, in fact, the, agree- the prose- federal prosecution was done and they were lying to the victims and telling them, no, don't worry about it. Uh, we're still working on it. Yeah, it was the, um, clearly misleading the victims, to put it mildly. Yes. Uh, and... Uh, well, so they were swindled. And, you know, uh, so this is, uh, so I think there's reason for them to, to believe that they're being swindled again. Um, now, there's also reason to think that this is not just protecting the rich and powerful Bill Clinton or Prince Andrew or some of the other people well, that were in. Well, let me okay. get to that. Yeah. Uh, Cause that's, you're just like reading my mind there. Uh, Acosta, this is the next point you make. This is a very important point. Acosta has given conflicting statements about the highly unusual and illegal deal he cut with Epstein's lawyers in 2008 in private conversations with Trump transition members who wanted to know if the Epstein deal was going to cause problems for Acosta, then a labor secretary nominee. This is so bizarre, Leonard. He, this guy who cut this deal became Trump's labor secretary. We, I talked a lot about that in the show. And just reading this is bringing back these memories of this, how strange this story is. Um, Acosta explained that he cut the non-prosecution deal with Epstein's attorneys because he'd been, quote, told to back off that Epstein was above his pay grade. Quote, I was told Epstein belonged to intelligence and leave it alone. But when questioned in public about the Epstein deal, Acosta has sung a different tune. In July of this year, he said he believed it was a good agreement based on evidence he had in 2008, and that new evidence and additional testimony offers an important opportunity to more fully bring him to justice. Wow. Okay, let's just think. When I heard the story, this is, I thought, oh, well, what it was, was that powerful people uh, who had been cavorting with Epstein and been uh, uh, part of his uh, sex operation, serviced by his sex operation, if you will, uh, were using their influence to get the feds to back off on Epstein because they didn't want their names coming out of trouble. That's what I thought. When I read this, I had the sense that it was something greater than uh, high crimes. High crimes. This is this is high crimes by high officials. Yes, talk about that. Well, first of all, start, let's start with what with with what Acosta. So, what, as as you mentioned, just to clear it up, Acosta was uh, he was the U.S. attorney down in Florida at the mm-hmm. time. This this not this unusual and illegal non prosecution agreement was cut back in two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight. Um, Then years later, he becomes uh, Trump's labor secretary um, nominee. And so first, let's look at the the, what he said in private. So Trump's transition team members, they knew about the Epstein deal that he had cut. And they said, Secretary Acosta, is this going to cause problems for you um, at your upcoming confirmation hearings if we nominate you to labor secretary? And what Epstein, and I'm sorry, what Acosta said to Trump's transition team members, and this was leaked um, to the press, 
what he said is that I was told um, to back off of Epstein, that he was above my pay grade, that he was with intelligence. Yeah, um, and that's why I cut this uh, deal. And this is that's why I cut him loose back in 2007. Um, so that's what he says in private. This was leaked to the press. What does he say in public? He says, well, no, actually, at the time, I thought this was a good deal. Um, I thought, now we know a lot more about Epstein. Now, that should raise a lot of concern for people in the press because it's clearly a lie. Um, there's nothing new that they learned. The new, the new indictment that was brought uh, this July um, had nothing to do with any new investigation of Epstein. What it had to what it had to do with is a story, uh, a series of articles in the Miami Herald um, that embarrassed the federal government. So Julie basically Browns. by Julie K. Brown, she wrote a, um, a series of articles this winter in the Mi Miami Herald that basically they, I think she interviewed like or identified like 60 victims of Epstein and reported their stories, which were heartbreaking, and talked about this non-prosecution agreement that was cut by Acosta um, back in 2007 and that was kept secret from the victims after they were swindled and basically told to cooperate with the federal, with the FBI, and then left left hanging um, and deceived um, when when the feds cut this secret deal with um, with Epstein's lawyers, who in fact included uh, Ken Starr and Alan Dershowitz. So um, let's just pause to think about that. Ken Starr, who, of course, was uh, overseeing the Clinton uh, impeachment. Right. The Starr report was what he was. Monica Lewinsky, Monica Lewinsky investigated the, the blowjob. Yes. yes, that's what he did. A yeah. lot of money was spent on yeah. that one. And then Alan Dershowitz, who is a Harvard Law professor and a very prominent uh, criminal defense lawyer, uh, who is, uh, war I think he represented O.J. Simpson. I'm just doing off the top of my head. Uh, and he's been defending Donald Trump lately, for what it's worth, uh, on, um, uh, on on the, the impeachment inquiries. Well, not impeachment yet, but anyway, in, uh, the, and his various wrongdoings. Uh, all right, so uh, I don't know if you, you know, Dershowitz wrote an introduction to the Mueller report, if you know that, that there's a book that the Mueller report and with Dershowitz's introduction, which okay. is a lot different than the Washington Post's introduction. I can tell you that right now, Leonard. All right, so uh, Dershowitz was one of his lawyers. He was one of his defense lawyers. Go ahead, I cut you off there, yeah. Um, yes, I'm sorry. What was <laughs> no, you were, you were pointing out, uh, the, the defense that, uh, I was asking you in my humble opinion that uh, this is the first time I ever thought that, um, that, w that there was a, an intelligence right. uh, link to what, uh, right. Was so yes, well, I'm sorry. What, yeah. What, what I was saying is that his public statements mm -hmm. that we now know more is clearly a lie because the only reason um, that basically the new indictment that was brought in 2019 against Epstein is identical. It charges um, a conspiracy to uh, for sex trafficking of young women occurring between 2002 and 2005. It's the exact same indictment that was written back in um, 20. 2007, so more than a decade ago, they just dusted off the one that they had um, 
can I say shit canned? Yes, you can say whatever you want. It's a podcast. Back in 2007 and just dusted it off because they were embarrassed by the stories in the Miami Herald. So the feds sprung into action Mm -hmm. and arrested, you know, because the feds can't stand uh, to be criticized. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they sprung into action. They dusted off this old indictment. Um, They arrested Epstein at Tito Bear Airport coming back from Paris, France on his private jet, uh, made a big production about it. Now we're going to get to the bottom of this. We've got this, you know, non-corruptible um, unit on it. The Southern District of New York, you know, they're supposedly these renegades. They're not, you know, part of this political cesspool that is Washington, D.C. and the Department of Justice. Um, and, you know, they're, trust us now, victims, we're really going to get to the bottom of it. And, you know, and the other thing that I think is is quite unusual is this exact same indictment um, that back in 2007, Epstein was allowed to walk away from mm-hmm. with nothing. Now, um, in 2019, after they arrest Epstein, they tell the judge um, that these same charges, that Epstein is so dangerous that he can't get a bond. He must be kept locked up in this ultra-secure facility, um, the Metropolitan, uh, Metropolitan Correctional Center in Manhattan, um, because he's too dangerous to be let loose on the exact same charges, conspiracy to um, traffic sex traffic women between 2002 and 2005. So stale, 12, 13-year-old charges. Now this man is so dangerous that he ha- must be locked up. Maybe he is so dangerous, but... Um, Why wasn't know, he dangerous? It's a little yeah. bit... It's a, yeah, you lose a little credibility, but the judge, generally, they go along with the prosecutor's recommendation. Um, they locked him up in this ultra-secure facility, and two months later, he's dead. Um, and I think the, you know, the one other thing... So, you know, okay, there's... These, what he says in private, that yes, I was told to back off. What, what, what um, Acosta says in private, I think somebody should look into that, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and I think you saw some members of the Democratic Party um, that were willing, I, I, I remember stories, you know, we're gonna get to the bottom of this. Uh, we're gonna investigate Acosta. This is official misconduct. And, you know, we're going to this this agreement was clearly illegal and we're going to we're going to have congressional hearings. Well, you heard about that, I think, back January, February. There was all these this this noise in Congress, mostly coming from the Democrats. But I think what happened is that then I think the Democrats realized that a lot of their good friends in intelligence, especially the ones that work for CNN and MSNBC, would be embarrassed uh, by this investigation and don't want them digging in um, to what really made Acosta back off of Epstein. So you see the, basically them, them, um, the story has just sort of drifted into the ether and there is no more calls for any uh, investigation uh, of Acosta. He politely resigned um, as labor secretary and that's been pretty much the end of it. We haven't heard um, much else. I think that, you know, the, maybe the one other point that we could talk about a little bit is that I think a federal trial of Epstein would have been incredibly problematic, assuming um, that there is some truth to what Acosta told the Trump transition team, that in fact he was told to back off, and in fact there was an intelligence um, operation going on with Epstein. And Maybe we could talk about that a little bit, too, what that would look like, because, you know... Well, let's get into that, yeah. I mean, certainly the the CIA is well known for... The, 
these types of operations. And I'm not a history person, but you don't have to go back that far to know that the CIA is very interested in getting blackmail information on uh, political rivals. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could look at uh, what happened during the um, the Iraq war, the run-up to the Iraq war, when they were basically looking for blackmail material on members of the Security Council um, in order to get them to go along with um, a vote Mm-hmm. to to make the war legal the united nations security council right mm-hmm. because basically you know if you remember back then the only you know there was a lot of concern especially with the brits that if they would go along with george bush's war um against iraq that they could be uh they could be prosecuted mm-hmm. for war crimes um you know a, a war of aggression without official un um approval security council approval um is uh, you know is illegal so I'm so do you think it's a possibility? And, and until I read your story, I hadn't thought about this. Then a, a kind of light went on. And I'm always uh, nervous, Leonard, about uh, becoming too obsessed with things I can't prove. I uh, feel like I'm heading into conspiracy uh, country. But a light did go on. And let's just back up and just put it all together. Here's a man who clearly uh, there was mountains of evidence against him for having um, allegedly committed these awful crimes. And the matter is dropped. Not only that, uh, what you didn't mention is that there was also a procedure in New York City uh, where the um, uh, after he got out of jail in Florida, there was a movement to put him on the uh, uh, to register as a sexual offender. And the federal government was in the the prosecutors. I don't know if you you saw this. Were in court vigorously arguing against that to minimize uh, the the degree of severity of his registration. The judge, the presiding judge said, I've never seen anything like this. Uh, I, it was an astounding article when I read it in the New York Times. Like, I'm like, yeah, why are the feds pushing so hard uh, <laughs> on this man's behalf after they've already, you know, given him the, the cushiest sentence you could possibly imagine, lied to the, the victims, et cetera, right. and so forth. Um, so are you s- suggesting, do you think, that he was in fact some sort of agent for uh, our intelligence a- agencies, perhaps the CIA, that gathering evidence on uh, people uh, through his sexual operations so that they could be blackmailed and then that information could be used against them? Well, I'll say a couple things. Um, you know, first of all, you know, I've, I've looked into this now that I've gotten kind of obsessed with the whole Epstein story, as you have, um, you know, I've looked at what's out there and most, very little in the mainstream press, because first of all, you know, Acosta's statement to the Trump transition team members. Now, it's not that difficult. If members of Congress were really interested in getting to the bottom of this, you can ask Acosta a couple questions. Who told you to back off? Mm-hmm. What agencies were working uh, with Epstein? Now, that, okay, there are people that have the ability to ask those questions. They're in Congress. Um, Congress is supposed to be doing oversight of our intelligence. Why aren't they doing their jobs? So that's one thing. Um, Now, there have been reports out there in non-mainstream press about, um, you know, stories about Epstein working with Israeli intelligence, the Mossad. Um, there was a, a story that I saw on the, a, the 
cover of the Jerusalem Post of Ehud Barak, the former prime minister, who's a political rival of Netanyahu, um, was photographed going into Epstein's New York mansion at a time when there were young girls in there. And uh, he's flown on Epstein's plane many times. So um, there clearly is possible um, that Epstein was running operations against other world leaders. Now, um, you know, now the the problem with that is Mossad is not going to have the power to tell the U.S. attorney in Florida to back off of a case. Okay, Israeli intelligence, even if he is working with Israeli intelligence, um, they're not going to have the power to end a federal investigation of Epstein and and all of his potential co-conspirators. So who has the power to do that? Well, some U.S. intelligence agencies, um, you know, who was head of the CIA back in 2007, 2008, Michael Hayden. Uh, He's now an analyst for CNN. Has anyone asked him, um, what, what, did you have a relationship with Epstein? What was your relationship with Epstein? Um, so there are people that have the power. Yes, you and I maybe have to engage in some speculation, um, but there are certainly people that have the power to do their jobs, that we elect to high office, and have the responsibility to oversee these um, powerful intelligence agencies that literally have the power of life and death, um, have the power to tell presidents who to assassinate, have the power to decide what, um, what foreign leaders need to be deposed for whatever political purpose. Um, and there's, Congress is supposed to, and remember there was, you know, there were these, the big church commission back in the 70s, and uh, we were supposed to finally get a handle on these renegade intelligence agencies and get them under control. And Congress, there's intelligence um, uh, oversight committees in Congress that are supposed to be watching these people. Well, no one's minding the store, apparently, because uh, once they realize that their friends might get embarrassed, uh, the whole thing was dropped. And, you know, I would, you know, that's why I write these stories. I'm like, you know, let's, and, and certainly the victims have a right. I mean, people make statements back in February, you can read Congress when they decided they were going to go after Acosta and ask, ask some questions. They make statements about how much they care about the victims and these poor teenage victims of Epstein. And we're going to, uh, for their sake, we're going to get to the bottom of this. Well, and then it's dropped. So I think, you know, those victims have a lot of power and I'm hoping um, that they uh, will continue asking these questions because they've been lied to and lied to and lied to by the federal government in this case. Well, you know, it's funny when, when the story broke, or well, let, let's, when the story broke about uh, after the Miami Herald's investigations and Julie Brown deserves some Pulitzer because Lord knows she's the one who did the hard work and the deep dive where nobody uh, was wanted to she go. She brought this back. She brought it back. It would have been, it would have been no new prosecution of yes, Epstein. Epstein. That's absolutely. And he'd still be doing his thing. Yep. Uh, and, uh, and she was uh, denigrated by Epstein's lawyers uh, you know, for her efforts. They try to trash her, uh, her dismiss the significance of what she was writing. Anyway, when that, when that story first broke, uh, and then Epstein was um, uh, eventually brought recharged and put back in jail. My thought was that, um, well, this is he. Uh, he had allies who were Democrats, like the Clintons, and he had allies who were Republicans, like the Trumps, and so it didn't fit into any convenient uh, partisanship. 
Leonard. In other words, it w- if the Democrats push too hard on this, it would be exposing Clinton. If the Republicans push too hard on it, it could potentially expose Trump. And so it was not really in either party's best interest to push too hard. And, and I got a kick out of this. I, I, I've said this on the show many times. For some reason, I'm on the Tea Party's mailing list. I'm not quite sure how that happened, but I got all their emails. As we're sitting here, I probably got three or four because uh, they, they are consistently, persistently sending emails out. And they look for elements of the Epstein story that shine a bad light on Democrats, totally ignoring Trump. Okay, so you get Tea Party missives that talk about Clinton's t- dealings with them. So I figured it was a partisan thing. Neither party was, uh, it was really in their best interest to push it too hard because it would embarrass high-ranking Democrats and Republicans. You're saying it's intelligence. And if it's intelligence, if it's an intelligence community, then it would not be a partisan thing. It would be almost like, Everybody would have a reason to bury it for quote unquote national interest. Is that what you're getting at? Or personal interest. I mean, what was Schumer's famous comment to Trump? Remember when Trump came in and he was going to go after the intelligent, these renegade intelligence peoples and Schumer's comment was, you know, he better be careful because they have ways to get you. Uh, what did he, what did he say? Six ways from Sunday. That was Schumer. That was uh, Senator Schumer's comment. Um, I think who's the last U.S. president that really took on intelligence. And that was JFK after the Bay of Pigs, after he was hung out to dry after the Bay of Pigs. Uh, He fired, I think he fired Alan Dulles, um, and he ended up dead. So I don't see any willingness in Congress. um, Certainly President Trump's vigor at going after intelligence and reining them in has sort of uh, weakened um, once he's gotten in office and been talked to and, you know, so yes, I, I, it certainly goes beyond partisan politics. I mean, you're certainly right. There's an element to that, to it, that there is, you know, high, high officials in the democratic party and the Republican party that might be embarrassed or might, might have close relationships with Epstein that they might not want coming out. But I do think it goes much farther than that. Um, and you know, there's just, there's been no, no oversight to intelligence. I mean, look at, look at one of the last, I mean, just to give one example, remember the whole torture uh, report. You had the CIA running this torture operation and uh, they called it, um, you know, enhanced interrogation where, you know, detainees were ending up dead after being interrogated uh, dozens of times by CIA officials. And there was an investigation by Congress. And you remember what the CIA did under Brennan. Um, they tapped into computers of, of, the, of Congress that was investigating um, their conduct. And uh, they broke into Senate computers. Can you imagine that? A, a federal agency breaking into Congress computers. And what, what, what happened? Um, Feinstein lectured them and was on TV saying she's very angry. That's it. That's, that was the end of it. There was no, there's no oversight of intelligence. They basically are on their own. Um, they do what they want. And Congress has, has left them alone for the most part. So, um, yes, it's more, I think it's more than just a bipartisan um, problem of embarrassment. But I think um, when you're talking about intelligence, there just is no appetite for going after them or even asking the simple question of Acosta. Mm-hmm. Hey, who told you to back yeah. off? Uh, now, 
had Epstein lived uh, to mount a defense, and uh, how would he have been limited in preparing his defense if there were these intelligence over? Uh, well, his lo- let's first of all they have videotapes. They have they broke into his safe in his house in Manhattan. They have damning evidence against the guy. Right? I mean, what? possible defense would he have at trial? Well, his lawyers would certainly have to look at what they call the public authority defense. And the typical public authority defense is that I was told by high officials that I believed had the authority that I was um, entitled to commit these acts. The typical time it's raised is when you is in a drug case a federal drug case where somebody's caught with five kilos of cocaine and they say to the uh, arresting agents or officers call uh, agent so-and-so or the dea he'll tell you i'm working with him mm-hmm. i am entitled to engage in these drug deals um, because i am working with federal drug enforcement um, certainly i don't know whether it would have been a valid defense for epstein i'm not saying it would have been but his lawyers would have had an obligation to investigate it they would have had an obligation to ask for any exculpatory information about his relationship with uh intelligence whether it's the cia or the nsa and the federal government had better turn that information over now they might do it under seal um but they have to turn that information over and if they don't uh, the case is going there's there's very harsh sanctions against federal prosecutors who do not uh, comply with their obligation to turn over exculpatory information so certainly if this case had gone to trial it would have caused a huge problem and it would have made it much more difficult for the federal government to cover up any relationship with with um, intelligence mm-hmm. and if they don't turn that information over i think you might remember the um the senator from alaska ted stevens his case uh was dismissed because federal prosecutors violated their obligation to turn over exculpatory information so th- there's a great likelihood of this case had gone to trial that this type of relationship between epstein and intelligence would have come out so that's another reason why i think um you know there's a reason to to have some doubts or have some um, concerns about why the feds might not want this case so to, to proceed through, to trial. Let's, let's again go back and talk about what happened in 2008 and contrast it with now. In 2008, really nobody knew who Jeffrey Epstein was. Uh, the feds were had a relative amount of anonymity. They were operating in the shadows uh, so they could let's assume that he was an intelligence operative just for the sake of this discussion just make that guess okay i'm saying this is sheer speculation on my part but let's just start say he was and so uh acosta gets a word from some higher up you don't want to go here you don't want to publicize this you got to make this go away a lot of embarrassing details could come out let's just uh cut the 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 best deal we can uh make it disappear and um and then we just look the other way all right so that's the world that exists in 2008 fast forward 11 years of this reporter for the miami herald digs digs up the story puts it back out there again you have republicans who think they uh democrats who think they could use it against Trump. Embarrass Trump. Trump. Because of Acosta. Because of Acosta. So they're pushing it. Uh, And then you got Republicans who think they can embarrass Clinton. They're always looking to embarrass the Clintons. They're pushing it. So they have no choice but to bring it back out 
Do you think it was a possibility that the feds, one more time, 11 years later, came face-to-face with the reality that this was a, a, a federal operative who was ga- gathering intel on behalf of CIA? So one more time, what the hell are we going to do? Only it's a lot harder, Leonard Goodman, to bury it twice. Everybody's paying attention now. You get what I'm saying? You make a good point there, because, right, it was it was relatively... Not such a huge story back in 2006, 2007. The only people that were really concerned were the victims, and they were sort of, you know... They were lied to. They were lied to. Don't worry. Uh, It was under seal. Um, But you're right. Today, it would have been much more difficult to keep this all under wraps. There's so much interest in the case. Um, This is probably the number one federal prisoner. Um, And so, yes. And then two months later, he ends up dead. And, and, And presumably... If this uh, speculation is true, and again, it's sheer speculation, presumably Jeffrey Epstein, no dope, is telling the prosecutors, hey, man, I'll, I'll spill all the beans in my trial. I'm not playing. I'll sp- I told you I was going to do this in 2008. Nothing's changed in 2019. That's where I'm going to go with it. Right. And so the feds are facing the same dilemma in 2019 under this scenario, this is pure speculation on my part, that they were facing in 2008. Well, it's pure speculation, except you're right. Generally, somebody with a lot of information, like Epstein, is pressured by the feds to cooperate, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I've certainly been practicing in federal court for 20 years, and that's what happens. You get somebody with a lot of information, a lot of knowledge, they're pressured to cooperate. Um, In this case, it was the opposite. He was pressured to keep his mouth shut, and in fact, they entered a secret agreement to give immunity to all potential co-conspirators of Epstein. I think people need to keep that in mind because we're saying speculation. Yes, we are engaging in speculation, but there are certain known facts. One is that there is this agreement. You can go and read it online. I've never seen one like it that grants immunity to all potential co-conspirators, including whoever, uh, people that had been visitors to his mansions um, in the Bahamas and in, uh, you know, in Manhattan, in Palm Beach, you know, so that's unusual. And the other thing that I think um, is not speculation is that he told Trump transition team members that he was told to back off and that he was with intelligence, that Acosta said that. And it has never been followed up on. Not one of these politicians that spouted off about how they're going to defend the rights of these victims and we're going to get to the bottom of it has bothered to ask Acosta uh, who told him to back off and what intelligence agency was he working with. So yes, we have to engage in some speculation because Congress is not doing their job. Yeah. And so your hunch is the reason they're backing off is they don't want to embarrass, uh, they don't want embarrassing secrets about intelligence operations to be leaked or to be revealed, publicized. I think they've been told to leave it alone, just like Acosta was told to leave it alone. I think Congress, because like you say, both Democrats and Republicans, the Republicans thought they could embarrass the Clintons and Democrats thought they could embarrass Trump. Uh, and they've all sort of gone radio silent. Yeah. And uh, the press has basically followed their lead of their friends in intelligence. Eh, let's leave it alone. Let's move on. Nothing to see here. People commit suicide in jail all the time. Um, well, now, and now let's get to that because um, when that happened, I got to tell you, Leonard, and 
I'm, I've lived through, I'm a little, I always point out, I'm a little older than, <laughs> than most people. I lived through Watergate, okay? I lived through those church hearings. I was an obsessive follower of politics back in the 70s. Frank Church, and uh, those revelations about the CIA and what the CIA was up to. I watched all the conspiracy movies of the 70s, okay? Chinatown, which is one of the greatest movies ever made. It's my favorite movie. Uh and uh, although that's not CIA, but that's the, uh, the the secret machinations of powerful people in Los Angeles. So, um, so I understand exactly. Like I've lived through all this, what the government uh, could do. So here we have this high-profile prisoner. He's supposedly tried to commit suicide once. You would figure every freaking guard in the prison would be watching him, and yet somehow or other, he was free. He was alone to commit suicide. I have a hard time believing that. And I, I, you know, I read the mainstream press every day. And I read the New York Times investigation. uh, And it pointed out all the failings of, uh, in the Trump era, his war on federal employees that has left the uh, prisons so understaffed that there's these huge gaps when in, in guards watching prisoners. And even then, Leonard, I buy into that. I do buy into that because Donald Trump is waging war against federal unions and federal employees. But even that, this is the most prominent prisoner. You're, I, you would think they would have had their top, their their top people. You got at least five guards. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? He hasn't cut it down. What do you make of this? You know, I think the reason why you have what they call conspiracy theorists is because people aren't getting satisfactory answers from the federal government. They don't feel they can trust what they're hearing. Um, So, you know, we have to speculate, but I don't know. Was he, you know, was he, certainly the, the feds have, when they wanted somebody gone, sometimes they pressure people to commit suicide, like Martin Luther King, Um, you know, they tried to. They tried. Him. He they did tried. not commit suicide. He certainly did yeah. not. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Um, they sent him letters. Uh, they sent him tapes of him having. Uh, right, but I mean, affairs. you talk about the church commissions and that that, that mm-hmm. sort of that was one of the things that they were looking at, right? Some of the, the sort of the renegade behavior um, of the, these intelligence agencies, and yeah, um, it's it's very suspicious and you would have thought that they would have had the um you know since they argued so hard that this man uh was too dangerous and had to be locked in this most secure um you know this most secure facility and we're not talking about um you know the county jail in toledo ohio we're talking about one of the most secure facilities the metropolitan correctional center in manhattan um so i yeah, I'm with you. I don't think that just saying, well, budget cuts or, you know, attacks against federal unions is is a satisfactory explanation. Yeah. Um, all right. So what's next? How far can I what's next? Literally, of course, uh, the victims uh, are pursuing their justice 
And that means they're going to be trying to fight that. I, at the start of the show, I talked about how he converted his will uh, into a trust, which effectively uh, protects it from litigation. So they're going to have to get a judge to unlock that trust and make it vulnerable so they get some, uh, some kind of money from it. Uh, so that'll be a fight. And uh, so that'll be going on. Do you think there's a possibility that uh, as that legal battle uh, unfolds, we can get some answers to some of these questions we've been asking? I think it's certainly possible. And civil lawyers have, have saved the day, um, you know, in the past. I think there's, there's fantastic civil lawyers out there um, that have the power to go into court and to demand some answers. And not only, yes, one of the, um, the perpetrators is dead, Jeffrey Epstein, but there's others. And certainly civil lawyers have um, the right to seek justice on behalf of the victims. Um, so I hope that, in fact, we will get um, some justice for the victims and maybe some clarity for the rest of well, us. Well, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. I mean, I, yes, I hope there's justice for the victims. Absolutely. Uh, the question I asked was asking about is the second part clarity for the rest. That's a good way of putting it. Clarity resolution to, you know, to like, why was he protected? Yeah. That's the fundamental that's the question. question. And, you know, I, I don't have high hopes that we're going to get the answers from, our um, feckless federal government or the Department of Justice. It's just the, you know, the federal government doesn't have a great history of um, investigating its own misbehavior. Now, maybe if we had um, whistleblowers and uh, people willing to, to publish, you know, someone like Julian Assange um, to get leaked information from the Department of Justice and, and um, from intelligence, we might get some answers, but I don't see our members of Congress um, or the Department of Justice doing any sort of legitimate investigation and going up the chain uh, beyond um, Acosta and who who are the people that told him to back off and who were the um, intelligence agencies that Epstein was working with. Um, I don't see us getting those answers um, from any government investigation, so mm -hmm. I my hopes would be with the with the victims and with their attorneys, or and or of course investigative reporters. Julie Brown was the yes. one who uh, got us to this point because one more time, if it wasn't for her and the Miami Herald, but investigative reporters, you know, were somewhat limited in terms of getting at information under seal, information, Absolutely. you know, and that's why I mentioned Julian Assange and whistleblowers because- um, They just get the raw data. That is, you know, that is in some ways, that's, that is the hope. If we're gonna talk about exposing government crimes, and if that's what we're talking about here, um, it generally isn't exposed through the Department of Justice investigation or congressional investigations. Occasionally it is, um, but very rarely. Um, and certainly in, in the past several decades, um, information about government crimes has come most often from 
whistleblowers and from publishers like Julian Assange. Well, I got to tell you, there are limits. You're absolutely correct about uh, investigative with investigative reports. They don't have subpoena powers. Uh, and uh, I, this is one of our favorite co- topics of conversation. When investigative reporters get together and start bemoaning uh, FOIA requests, for instance, when you ask for all the emails uh, or uh, text messages, let's say a public official in the city of Chicago has, uh, and, they, and, they re- and they'll drop after making you sit through months of FOIA hell, uh, Leonard, they'll drop a bunch of on you. Like Usually they drop them like right before a holiday to really mess with your mind, so you have to go through them while you wish you were on holiday. Anyway, you have no guarantee that they're giving you all. Right. The, you know what I'm saying? Right. There's no guarantee they're giving you so all. Oh, depending are. on the good graces of these <laughs> government officials. Which is, yeah, it's a great, you talk about an assumption, a leap of faith. Uh, yeah, so uh, it, I, you, you, you may be right. It would, uh, a whistleblower uh, or. Um, well, you know, it was a whistleblower that really gave us the information that Acosta said in private to the Trump transition team members. I mean, that came from a whistleblower, Mm -hmm. somebody that was in the room um, and leaked it to the press. It's never been denied that he said that. And um, he just basically, when he made public statements, he was told to change his story and to say something different and something more palatable for the federal government and that would not uh, raise these kind of discussions that we're having today. Well, and it's clearly, there's just at least the appearance that it's not in the best interest of prominent Democrats and prominent Republicans that this story come out. I mean, again, Bill Clinton and Donald Trump, and they don't get more prominent than that, have been linked to Jeffrey Epstein. Right. Uh, Clinton threw, flew on his plane, Trump. So were, maybe, we, maybe we need a third party, a real third party. <laughs> oh, now, that's a whole other story, a real third party. Uh, all right, uh, I have a sense that maybe in about six months we'll continue this conversation. I'm hoping there'll be more leads uh, on this one. I know I'll be following it. Before I let you get out the door, I should have said this up top. Uh, it slipped my mind. I'm so excited to talk about Jeffrey Epstein. If the name Leonard Goodman is familiar, he'd been in my show before. He's been in the newspapers. Uh, he is the lawyer for Rob Bogoyevich. And uh, Leonard and I see almost eye to eye on Rod Bogoyevich at this moment. Uh, almost, I say. I've had my troubles with Rod Bogoyevich down through the years as a working reporter. I have not had the best of relationships with Bogoyevich or his uh, father-in-law, Richard Mel. But I agree with you 100% that it's long overdue that he be uh, released from federal prison. I can't see no reason, no I see no good, public good, coming out of incarcerating him anymore. I'd say put him to public use. The guy's really smart. He could help, I don't know, he could give lectures on history. He could tutor kids, something. There's a public use for Rod Blagojevich that is far better than locking him up at federal expense, taxpayers' expense, in Colorado. And uh, then I say that, Rob Blagojevich, knowing <laughs> that you were not the friendliest of politicians to me when I was covering you back in the day. Uh, it's, you, you're, all your appeals were exhausted. There's no more uh, opportunity to get him out of prison unless Donald Trump uh, lets him out. And I know that uh, Patty Blagojevich has been appealing to Trump. Is there anything we should know, any movement on this, uh, in this area uh, lately? Yeah, well, thanks for asking. Uh, It's certainly been a rough summer for uh, Patty and for her two daughters. Um, You know, they they had pretty strong information that, you know, Trump was going to commute his sentence. And then I think what happened is President Trump decided um, 
to talk about it in one of those press gaggles where he basically said, I'm thinking of doing this. And then there was this organized campaign by the Department of Justice um, to push back. And they recruited people like um, LaHood, the um, you know congressperson here in, in Southern Illinois, uh, who's a former federal prosecutor to be sort of the front person and to push back um, and talk about how Blagojevich is the worst person in the world um, and should be left in prison. Uh, I don't know why they're so afraid to have him out. I mean, maybe part of it is what you said, is that he has a big mouth um, and then maybe he would be a critic of the federal government. And I think, you know, and, I, and this sort of ties into the Epstein thing because, you know, when they were throwing the book at Rod Blagojevich, who never took a penny, uh, never took a bribe, never took a big kickback, never tried to enrich himself, never took money from his campaign fund. He basically was prosecuted on a deal he tried to make with Barack Obama, which the court eventually found was illegal, um, and for basically aggressive fundraising for his campaign, um, which everyone does. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, well, not everybody. The, well, 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 hold on. well, maybe not, not Bernie everybody. Sanders. Yep. Maybe not Bernie, Bernie Sanders. But I get a lot of fundraising calls, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and I felt shook down by this person or that person. But you, you know. ever get the feeling that a business contract hinges uh, on a contribution? Have you ever had that feeling that like you get cut off? from a state contract or uh, if you don't give money? You can have that feeling, and I've certainly had the feeling that I'm being pressured um, to, you know, to make a contribution for this reason or that. I mean, the law was pretty clear uh, back in the 90s that there has to be um, an actual promise. Mm-hmm. Blagojevich never promised anyone anything in exchange for a campaign contribution. He's the only person ever prosecuted under a lower standard. If you remember, there were two trials. The first trial, they didn't get a conviction and they changed the law for the second trial. You know, we don't have to go through the, all that history. Um, but the one thing I wouldn't mention because it ties into our whole discussion here is that at the time they were what I would say railroading, but you can say aggressively prosecuting executing Blagojevich, two trials, um, you know, tapping all his phones for 40 days, including all of his personal calls with his wife and all of his friends. Uh, I've listened to 300 hours. Uh, I put him on my iPod and sat and listened to all of his calls. Not once did he ever promise anyone anything in exchange for a campaign contribution. But at the time that they were doing this, they were cutting a no prosecution agreement with uh, Jeffrey Epstein, the same federal government. So, you know, maybe there's reasons why they don't want Rod out in his big mouth. Um, but we should all, you know, we should all want him out. And, you know, seven and a half years That's is not ridiculous. enough. His his daughter, you know, they flew his poor daughter back from Scotland uh, to be here uh, when Rod for Rod's return home. Um, she's in she's in graduate school in Edinburgh, Scotland. Um and it's been just brutal for that family. And I feel so sorry for them. And I hope Donald Trump, you know, this would be an act of mercy. Yeah, yeah. You can criticize him all you want, I wish but I do. this would be an act of mercy. Um, Rod's a Democrat. He's not a Republican. It would, it would serve no political purpose uh, for Trump, but it would be an act of actual mercy. Well, and it would be doing the right thing. And it would be basically correcting... Um, an injustice when the courts have failed and the courts have failed in this case. And if you ever want to have me back to talk about that, I'd be glad oh, to. I would like, I mean, I, uh, it is a, Dennis could tell you, is his favorite topic. Uh, the Bogoyevich case comes up all the time and I pretty much repeat everything I just said. I say it to, 
so many different people sitting in that guest chair, Leonard. I've said the same thing I just told you to. I had Dave McKinney uh, in that guest chair. Uh, I urge everybody to go check out that bonus interview. It's several months old, but I think it's one. it was a really good one. McKinney took us to A to Z on the Bukoyevich tapes. And uh, he hasn't heard, obviously, as many as you have heard. Uh, Dave McKinney, WBEZ investigative reporter, outstanding reporter. And uh, he talks about the Bukoyevich tapes. And so I think about the case a lot. I do think uh, I do think that Rod Bogoyevich, I've probably told you this before, he infuriated the uh, prosecution. He infuriated the judge with his antics after, in between trials where he went on the David Letterman show no, and Geraldo Rivera. and No doubt. No doubt. And um, I guess he but, thought he was going to get off that way. What did they say about a lawyer who hires himself uh, as a client or whatever the saying is? Lincoln's I don't know that it. he can control himself. You know, I mean, he's. He's a talker. And I'll tell you, if you listen to those tapes, you know, the thing about Rod Blagojevich is he gets an idea in his head and he picks up the phone and he calls three people. What do you think about this? Thinking about this. It doesn't mean he was actually going to do it, but, you know, he, he, a lot of stuff comes out of his mouth. Um, you know, if I was advising him back, I didn't represent him at his trial. If I was, I would have, you know, told him <laughs> to keep his mouth shut. You I know, part of it was also, yeah. you know, the other thing people say about, you know, I always tell people, look, if Blagorvitz was really this corrupt, uh, he would have some money. He wouldn't be relying on appointed law. I'm his appointed counsel um, that represented him for appeal. He's indigent, technically. His family never had money. Um, so, you know, part of the, the running his mouth and his going on these reality TV shows was they needed some money. They had no way to make money once he was kicked out of office and impeached. Um, so, yes, I, I have maybe I have more sympathy for him than others because I know him and I know the family and I know he's deep down. He's a, he's a good person. Um, uh, Patty has been such a good friend to me. I think I mentioned to you, I'm an old, old father of a first time father of a four year old. She's basically helped me with all my parenting questions. And, you know, she raised two girls. I have a, a young girl. Um, she's one of the people that I've, I've turned to for advice and, and they're just very warm people and it's a wonderful family and they love each other. Um, and it's just such a tragedy. Seven and a half years, those two girls have been without their father. Um, and it would be for another, what? It'd be another six years, yeah, right? Yeah, another six years. I, and I, I'm going to say this here. I don't. I, I just as me talking again. Uh, Donald, you cannot depend on Donald Trump. This is just me talking. Uh, Donald Trump, for political purposes, if he wants to discredit the federal prosecutors are coming after him and investigating him, or looking into uh, a possible impeachment, impeachable offenses, he'll drag out Blagojevich. That's what he uses, Blagojevich. And if he senses that the feds are have lost interest in prosecuting him or the Democrats have lost interest in prosecuting him, then he pulls back on Blagojevich. And I don't, I, f I feel there's a, a level of cruelty right there. Now, this is me talking, yeah. but I, that's, that's how I view well, it. Well, I think, I think Trump was sincere that he really felt uh, that Rod got a bad deal, that the case was political, and that he thought he needed to come home. I think Trump made the mistake of floating it with the press, and I don't think he was prepared for this organized campaign by the Department of Justice. Um, and most of it was just complete bullshit information. I mean, they had these talking points about how he shook down this person and he uh, 
tried to bribe Jesse Jackson and all this stuff. It's all bullshit. And uh, they know it. They know it's not true. Um, they don't want them out. And they don't want people looking into this case. And maybe if people really took a look at this case, they would say, wait a second. He, he did seven and a half years for this bullshit. Yeah, it is ridiculous. By the way, uh, although I will say this, I, I, I know I've told you this before. Uh, what Trump did completely cut off Bruce Rauner at the knees. Uh, and if I take any delight in it, it's it on that level. It, Bruce Rauner was dragging out those uh, Blagojevich conversations with J.B. Pritzker for his campaign in 2018, if you recall. Yeah. All of a sudden, Donald Trump started talking about how Blagojevich was unfairly prosecuted and is in jail for too long. And Republican turning Blagojevich in the bizarre world of 2019, 2018 politics, Leonard in somewhat of a, like, I don't know, hero to Republican voters, but like a, a martyr maybe. And suddenly Rauner lost a campaign issue. So well, I think in some strange way, it's benefited the state. Of well, Illinois. it's interesting. You know, if you look at Rod's trial, um, there were a lot of tapes that would have contradicted the government, the, the case that the government, uh, sold to the jury, the second jury. Um, those tapes were excluded from the trial. The jury never heard them. They've been put under seal. So we're not, I, I have them. I'm not allowed to release them. Yeah. And some of them get selectively released <laughs> when there's a political uh, ax to grind. So yeah, it's interesting. It, yeah, it's interesting how they do it. You know what? I wish those tapes, there were some tapes about uh, Jeffrey Epstein. That would be really interesting. And maybe there are somewhere maybe. in some vault. Well, there are. There, there are. are. We know there are. Yeah. I just don't know how we're going to get, get them. them maybe the civil lawyers for the victims will we'll get them. Leonard Goodman, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. I Thanks, think we ben. may have set a new record because uh, we were almost done with Epstein. Then we went on a 20-minute Blagojevich <laughs> tangent. Uh, Leonard Goodman, thank you so much. I'm Ben Jarofsky, and this is another Ben Jarofsky bonus. Take care, everybody.